Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us for the Advocacy and Impact podcast. This podcast, hosted by ASHP's Government Relations Division, provides an update on what ASHP is currently involved with on the Hill at the state level, upcoming advocacy opportunities, PAC fundraisers and strategies into increased member involvement with their representatives. My name is Nick Gentile. I am the Director of Grassroots Engagement and the Political Action Committee, and I will be your host today for this Advocacy and Impact podcast. With me today is Tom Krause, Vice President of Government Relations. Thank you for joining me today, Tom. Thanks, Nick. Let's get started talking about today's topic, a look at ASHP's federal legislative priorities from 2021's Virtual Legislative Week. So, Tom, how did Virtual Legislative Week go? Yeah, thanks, thanks, Nick. Uh, it went, went very well. You know, Legislative Week is, is really the most visible time for our members on Capitol Hill. It's the opportunity for us to get members who participate in Policy Week to interact with their, their members of Congress and the, the congressional staff. And so that's it's a great opportunity for us to highlight the issues that are important to us as health system pharmacists, but also for you know, our members to interact with Congress as constituents. And so it's, it's, really, um, it's really the highlight of our year for advocacy. So how many meetings did ASHP members attend during the week? Our members participated in 83 meetings with different members of Congress and their staff. And you know, we had about 160 um, ASHP members involved. And, and that includes members who, who participate in some of the councils during policy week, as, as well as representatives from some of the state affiliates. And, and that combination is great because it, it lets our members, it sort of, it highlights the members that are engaged on policy issues, but it also makes sure that we're kind of bringing that, you know, the, the, the relationship with the state affiliates into the discussion. And, and that just makes it more impactful for members of Congress to interact with ASHP members from their own district or their own state, but also someone representing the state affiliate. So it's a, it's a good, uh, good combination. And we had some, you know, like I said, you know, over, over 80 meetings with members of Congress this week. That's great. So let's get into the meat and potatoes of this. What were those messages that ASHP members brought to Capitol Hill? Yeah, so obviously there's, you know, there's an enormous number of, of issues that ASHP advocates on from workforce issues to drug supply chain issues. We chose to spend our focus for Legislative Day on, on just three issues to keep it relatively simple. So we we focused on ensuring that patients have access to pharmacist services, and that, that means advocating for pharmacist provider status, and we can talk a little bit about more about um, what we talked about there. Um, stopping the attacks on the 340B drug discount program that is so important for supporting access to pharmacy services, particularly at safety net hospitals. And we talked about uh, leveraging pharmacists to treat opioid addiction. So, you know, there are challenges with pharmacists being able to fully support uh, access to medications for opioid use disorder. And that is an area where we think Congress needs to get involved to to expand access to those, those important therapies. 
Great. I know that provider status is a very high priority for ASHP. So let's start there. What were our key messages regarding provider status? Yeah, our, our key messages are that state governments are are really leveraging pharmacists in, in a lot of new ways and that's specific to the COVID-19 response, but also providing services outside the context of the pandemic. And, you know, we think it's important that Congress understand that and that they pass legislation that would allow the Medicare program to cover pharmacist services because it is it is increasingly an outlier that the Medicare program not cover those services. You know, we, we are increasingly in a situation where state Medicaid programs and commercial payers are starting to uh, recognize pharmacists as providers. And that's that's great for improving access, but but it doesn't solve the problem for Medicaid beneficiaries. So our main emphasis is making sure that Congress uh, passed provider status legislation and there's specific legislation that we want them to support. It's called the, the Pharmacy and Medically Underserved Areas Enhancement Act. Um, that is a bill that would specifically make pharmacist providers under the Medicare program. And, and it's particularly focused on making sure that pharmacists can provide access to services in medically underserved areas. That's pretty interesting. But how does this provider status effort differ from previous efforts? I know there have been multiple efforts in the past. Can you go into that a little bit? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So I think there's been a lot of energy invested in provider status, but there are some things that that are different. You know, I was mentioning that several states have expanded the scope of practice of pharmacists and in many cases have expanded reimbursement for pharmacist services, both through the Medicaid program and through commercial payers. And that's because those state policymakers are recognizing the value that pharmacists bring as healthcare providers in their communities. They are they are trying to leverage pharmacists to provide those services. And it's actually not just the state governments, right? Even the federal government has made this recognition during the pandemic. In fact, during the COVID-19 pandemic, we've we've really had the greatest expansion of pharmacists' scope of practice led by the federal government that has occurred in, in recent memory. And that's that's because the, the federal government has an authority during emergencies to use what's called the PREP Act to basically say, we need particular healthcare providers to provide certain services. And they've done that for pharmacists. They've asked pharmacists as well as actually pharmacy interns and pharmacy techs to provide additional services. They've asked pharmacists to expand access to COVID-19 testing and vaccination, but also COVID-19 therapeutics. And that is a significant, significant step uh, for the federal government to take because it, it supersedes state law and it makes very clear that pharmacists can order and administer therapeutics, both for prophylaxis and treatment of COVID-19. And, and that is a huge leap, but the Medicare program needs to figure out how it is going to update its own processes with regard to, to reimbursement and recognition of pharmacists so that we can fully implement those that, that HHS request that pharmacists support access to COVID-19 services. So I think that is that really changes the environment in which Congress is considering provider status. Now, you know, it, just to be clear, there are there are some workarounds that CMS has done uh, in the near term to allow 
reimbursement of monoclonal antibodies that are uh, administered by pharmacists. So, you know, there are some things on the margin that CMS has done, but, you know, I think especially as we think about providing more access to therapies going forward, especially as, as therapies come out with different routes of administration, Medicare really is going to need to step in to figure out a solution, and that's going to require congressional action. So that's, that's a, I think, probably the biggest change. Pharmacy has been so visible uh, in the, the pandemic response. It's, it's sort of hard for Congress to continue to deny that role that pharmacists are playing as healthcare providers. So, Tom, I wanted to switch gears here and and discuss the 340B program. You know, as you said earlier, the 340B program has come uh, under attack recently by pharmaceutical companies and and other entities. What can Congress do to protect the program? Yeah, so there are several things that that Congress can do. So, number one, support enforcement action against manufacturers that are not honoring their obligations under the 340B program. You know, this is this is a program that provides resources to support um, access for low-income and rural patients. It is something that Congress created specifically to support safety net providers, including safety net hospitals. And we've just seen an erosion of the program that has occurred by drug manufacturers refusing to provide 340B discounts in certain circumstances, you know, and that's contrary to uh, Congress's stated intent. It's contrary to what HHS has said. We've also seen problems in the federal government itself uh, undermining the program, and they did that by allowing the Medicare program to pay 340B hospitals lower reimbursement rates than other providers. And so as a result, Medicare is functionally cannibalizing the value created by the 340B program. You know, both of those things are just inconsistent with Congress's intent. And so we want to make sure Congress understands that this program is being harmed. And as a result, the safety net providers and the patients they serve are also being harmed. So, So one thing they can do is support enforcement action against uh, drug manufacturers that are not complying. Another thing that they can do is push CMS to restore funding for for those safety net hospitals that uh, that are 340B eligible, so that they don't have to take uh, you know reduced reimbursement rates. And you know another thing that Congress can do is pass the Protect 340B Act, and that is bipartisan legislation that prohibits PBMs and and insurers from implementing discriminatory policies that basically target 340B hospitals. And and what that means is, you know, if you're a a health insurer, you can't look at a 340B hospital and say, oh, I think that hospital is getting some additional resources from the 340B program. Therefore, I'm going to go try to claw away those, those resources for myself. Like that's not at all appropriate. It's not what Congress intended. And we need to make sure that, that PBMs and insurers don't abuse the program. So one thing that we, we asked Congress, Congress to do is pass that, that legislation to make sure that insurers don't capture the value of the 340B program that, that was intended to support hospitals and their patients. So 
you know, the COVID-19 pandemic has kind of touched every facet of life and policy. How has the pandemic threatened the 340B facilities eligibility? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So, you know, the pandemic has affected entire communities. It has disrupted employment for individuals. It has disrupted their insurance coverage if offered through an employer. It has, addressed, it has, has impacted their income. And so all of those changes in populations have potential to disrupt whether a health system is serving a population um, that would be make it eligible for 340B discounts. And, and, and at the same time, hospitals also saw these dramatic, dramatic swings in admissions and in procedure volume as a result of the pandemic. The combination of those two things, kind of changes in, in volume and the disruption to employment and qualification for insurance and, and all of those kind of intersecting factors totally disrupt the calculation of which hospitals qualify for the 340B program. And so one thing that Congress could do is pass legislation that ensures that if, if a hospital's 340B eligibility was disrupted by the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, that, that should not be a justification to exclude a safety net provider from the 340B program. So we want to make sure that co Congress understands these kind of anomalous factors that COVID-19 is, is causing uh, that could disrupt 340B eligibility and, and, and encourage them to pass legislation to, to make sure that that does not harm safety net providers and their patients. So will HHS act after seeing so many pharmaceutical companies try to ignore the rules of the program? It, it looks like they will. They have made very clear that the actions of drug manufacturers in refusing to provide discounts is inappropriate or creating new requirements that manufacturers basically make up that they say healthcare providers need to comply with in order to receive the 340B discounts that, that the manufacturer is already obligated to provide under law. HHS has said, look, guys, that doesn't that doesn't fly. You actually do have to provide those discounts and you can't make up your own rules about when you do. The HHS and the agencies that force those rules have informed manufacturers that they have to comply. Um, they've now taken an additional step of referring the actions of some drug manufacturers to the, the Office of Inspector General, which is a sort of uh, investigatory unit within the Department of Health and Human Services. So they are taking steps towards enforcing the program requirements. Obviously, we would like to see that happen faster, and we would like to see drug manufacturers make uh, health systems whole for the, the refusal to provide discounts uh, that, that they were obligated to be paid under the the program, but yes, it does it does look like HHS is is sort of inching its way towards enforcement action against those drug manufacturers. Good to hear. So finally, let's pivot toward the last issue you outlined at the beginning of this podcast, which is the opioid epidemic. How would the elimination of the X waiver expand access to medication assisted treatment? Yeah, so the X waiver is is a requirement under federal law 
that Congress created that places limitations on who can order medications for opioid use disorder and the number of patients that they can treat under that program. So one thing that we have asked Congress to do is eliminate that program. We think it is an unnecessary barrier that, that limits the ability of pharmacists to support their patients uh, that are struggling with, with opioid use. Individual states have made decisions about their scope of practice, and some of which include allowing pharmacists to order um, uh, controlled substances, including medications for opioid use disorder. There's a sort of perverse situation where the state has said, look, pharmacists are qualified to be prescribing medications, including, in some cases, opioids. But the federal government has come along and said, we're going to create a special set of rules for who can prescribe medications for opioid use disorder. So you get this situation where in a given state, the pharmacist can order an opioid, but they cannot order the medication-assisted treatment to support a patient who is struggling with addiction. That does not make sense. Um, and so, you know, we, we, we've really been focusing on pointing that out. If Congress recognized that and eliminated the X waiver program, then you would have flexibility for any healthcare professional who is authorized under state law to, to order medication for opioid use disorder, including pharmacists in some cases, to do that. It would not make it automatic that in every case, in every state, a pharmacist would be able to order medications for opioid use disorder. It would still be limited to those states where the, the scope of practice allows that. But by eliminating this, eliminating the, the X waiver, you would get rid of this federal barrier that prevents healthcare professionals from, from, from treating their patients as they are licensed to do in their, in their given state. So, Tom, if the X waiver is not eliminated, is there a way to add pharmacists to the X waiver program? That's a good question. It is something that has been considered. There are a few different categories of healthcare providers that have been explicitly added to the X waiver program. And certainly, we have discussed that with members of Congress, and that is, that is a possibility. However, at the end of the day, the X waiver is an additional layer of bureaucratic hurdle for any healthcare provider to support access to medications for opioid use disorder. So uh, while it is possible that a pharmacist could be added to that program, I think there is a, a growing awareness that the program itself is just fundamentally flawed and fundamentally a barrier to accessing medications for opioid use disorder. So our, our preference would be that, that, that Congress simply eliminate that program and allow any provider that is licensed to provide access to medications for opioid use disorder to do so you know, as licensed in their state. So finally, Tom, for the million dollar question, how likely is it that Congress eliminates the X waiver versus adding pharmacists to the program? I, there does seem to be a little bit more interest in just eliminating the program altogether. So if I were if I were betting, I would say that is probably the more likely outcome. But you know what? 
Congress has been slow on this issue. I don't know when they will 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 take action. Obviously, with the COVID nineteen pandemic, that has been the the focus of of Congress's attention, and it's sort of shifted attention away from the opioid epidemic. But that that opioid use uh, epidemic is still out there in our country. Patients are still being harmed. Families are being harmed. It is still a real issue. And I think, you know, I don't know if it will be this year, but I do think Congress is going to have to come back to how do we help American families that are struggling with opioid use. And, you know, I think there is at least a possibility that that one thing that can be done is to eliminate that X waiver program. So, you know, I, I can't say that it will happen quickly. As I say right now, unfortunately, this is not the, the the focus of the Congress. But I do think there is advocacy, not not just from us, um, from the patient community, from some other healthcare providers, to to simply eliminate the program. And I think when Congress comes up for air after the uh, kind of navigating the, the COVID pandemic, I, I hope that this will be one of the places that they quickly turn their attention. You know, it's, it's entirely possible that that they recognize that not only has the, the um, COVID pandemic distracted from this, it's in fact, it's inflamed the uh, opioid use uh, epidemic uh, as, as individuals struggle with disruptions to their daily lives. So there's just such an acute need for, for this issue to be addressed. And I, you know, as I say, I don't know exactly when it will happen, but I am quite confident that Congress is going to have to come back and take action uh, to address the opioid crisis. So we want to make sure that, that eliminating the X waiver is part of that discussion. Thanks, Tom. So that is all the time we have today. And I want to thank Tom Krause for joining me to discuss ASHB's federal legislative priorities. Be sure that your voice is heard. Visit ashp.org to learn more about key issues, grassroots efforts, and ways that you can get involved in ASHP's advocacy priorities. Thanks so much for uh, talking to me today, Nick. And and thank you to all of the ASHP members who uh, took the time to participate in legislative activities this week and to all of the, the state affiliates that shared their perspectives and, and, and lended their voice to the discussion. It's, it's really uh, helpful to drive our advocacy efforts. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.